0: I've not had the pleasure of meeting you yet. My name is Neil Davidson, one of the pastors here at Hope Chapel. And I'm going to be bringing the message today, and uh, I want to also greet those who are joining us on Facebook Live. And uh, if you need to contact us, you can do just do just go to our website hopechapelsterling.org, and you'll find out how to get through the email addresses and all that kind of good stuff. And there's a lot of great information in there as well. And uh, I want to continue to thank you for being uh, cooperative with us moving on our holiday weekends to a single service. It's one of the times, one of those moments where we try to take advantage of, because it's a holiday weekend, some of you will be away. We can plug all in together. And so those kind of experiences where you're looking at people saying, oh, you must be a 9 o'clock service person. You kind of, we can start to build a little community across the two services. But, so just remember next week, 10.30 service only on Labor Day weekend. I'd love for you to grab a Bible and turn to um, Exodus chapter 31 with me you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles underneath your chair, and you should find our text today on page 73. And I know it's late August. It's the dog days of August. It's one of those times where we're kind of a little laid back, trying to milk a little bit of the warm weather before we have to start splitting cordwood, as according to Steve. But, um, and with that, you'd think we might handle a subject matter that's just a little bit more low-key. But today, I really am trying to, to, to not only take a bite out of the elephant, I'm trying for us to eat the whole elephant in terms of a very aggressive kind of truth that I want us to, to incarnate into our own lives. And because here's what, uh, well, here's what I think God's message to us today, is that you and I can take the mundane journey of our everyday work, take our secular vocations, and they can actually be a part of God's divine activity. But the only way that that happens is if we take what often feels like a burden and let it be the blessing that it's supposed to be. And let me unpack that just a little bit more. Some of us feel like our jobs are, you know, it's like, you know, we ask people, well, where do you work? Well, you know, know, it's just a job, right? I, I I got to make money. I got to pay the rent got to pay the mortgage, got to keep the insurance of the car, the kids need shoes or whatever. I I, I just I work, but it doesn't really, you know, it's just a job, right? And some people really have that feeling their jobs are something that they survive in because they eat them up and etc. cetera, and they don't really feel like it's a place where it's a part of their, the real value of their lives, right? So it becomes mundane. It weights down. I believe that God has a way for us to see those as a part of the divine activity, his divine activity in the world. But the only way we get there, if we take what is often a burden, and I'm going to talk about Sabbath, and actually let it be the blessing that God wants it to be in our lives. In order for our labor to really have the kingdom value and feed into our spirits through God, we we have to embrace the rhythm of work and spiritual rest, of work and Sabbath. And for a lot of us, Sabbath kind of feels like, eh, you know, it's, it's my one day off during the week when I get to get through all these other things that I can't do. And it feels more like a burden rather than a gift that God is trying to give to us to release us into his experience. And... Today, we're going to be looking at Exodus 31, and those two concepts of labor and rest come together. Now, it would have been perfect to do this next week, right, on Labor Day, right? But we've been kind of trying to package up the end of the book of Exodus. We've been working our way through Exodus since way back in May, and so those of you who are just joining us, we've been in a lengthy series looking at the book of Exodus and understanding that their journey... Their story is really our story. We see their move, movement from slavery to becoming the people of God. We've moved from being enslaved to sin to being the children of God. We've we've seen their dynamics of challenging how to walk by faith and etc. We've seen that all the way through. But as we've gotten down to the end of the book, we're trying to grab on to some big pieces so we can launch a new quick series in early September on prayer, learning how to talk to God like Jesus did, and and so. What we did is we, we, we took the giving of the Ten Commandments, the establishment of the covenant, and then we jumped ahead to chapter 32. And I know you're really, 32 comes after 31. Why are we in 31? We did it because chapter 32 shows how they broke the covenant through the golden calf experience. And now we've gone back and we're going to look at somewhat how God planned for the construction of the tabernacle. And next week we're going to see what happens when God's presence shows up in the tabernacle. And in case you need to be clued in, you and I are the temples now of the Holy Spirit. We'll be talking about that next week. So when you look at this passage of Scripture today, God is ending a long conversation with Moses that started way back in chapter 20. He gave them the 10 words, the 10 commandments, that were the core, if you will, the constitution of their new covenant with God as they became a nation, a holy nation a people belonging to God, as they became God's people. Between there and here, God has laid out two things. One, he's given them a lot of specific laws about how those laws get lived out on an everyday basis. Some of them are very practical things, like, all right, when you know, your ox kills this guy's ox, this is what you've got to pay, whatever, and that kind of stuff. And we have those same kind of laws. If you're going 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, you can find this, but for every mile after that, it goes up. We have very specific laws, right, that goes with all of that. He's laying out some of that, and he's also telling Moses, this is how I want you to design the tabernacle. I'm going to construct a place where that's going to be identified with my presence so that the people will always know where they can connect with me. This is exactly what they're violating at the bottom of the mountain while God has given these final instructions to, to Moses while he's on the top of the mountain. But at the end of this, he's given lots of instructions about how big it's supposed to be and tall and what pieces go where and how those are supposed to be built and et cetera. He gets down to the end and he gives some more general instructions about who's supposed to do the building. And I want to draw some insights for us today about how you and I need to view our vocation, how we view our everyday abilities as a way that God has empowered us to make a divine impact. Just follow along if you would. As I read aloud, and if I stumble over some of the funny-sounding names, you'll grant me some grace, I hope. I can't even pronounce English, so when I get into these hard names, it's really hard. It says, so the Lord also spoke to Moses. He's been doing that now for 10 chapters. Look, I've appointed by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah. I filled him with God's spirit, with wisdom, understanding, and ability in every craft, to design artistic works in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut gemstones for mounting, and to carve wood for work in every craft. I've also selected Ohiliab, son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan, to be with him. I have placed wisdom, wisdom within every skilled craftsman in order to make all that I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, the Ark of the Testimony, the mercy seat that's on top of it, and all the other furnishings of the tent, the table with its utensils, the pure gold lampstands with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, the basin with its stand, the specially woven garments, both the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments for his sons to serve as priests, the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense for the sanctuary. They must make them according to all that I have commanded you. So then it says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbath, for it is a sign between me and you throughout generations, so that you will know I am Yahweh who sets you apart. Observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Whoever profanes it must be put to death. If anyone does work on it, That person must be cut off from his people. Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day, there must be a Sabbath of complete rest dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who does work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. The Israelites must observe the Sabbath. Think God's getting his point across, right? You know, the Israelites must observe the Sabbath. And it's an interesting question. We're gonna process this later. Out of the 10 commandments that God gave, Why is the Sabbath the only one he repeats at the end? Interesting question for us. Why is that connected with the construction? The Israelites must observe the Sabbath, celebrating it throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. There's a sign forever between me and the Israelites. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. But on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. Now, now, so Moses is on top of the mountain and God's, God gives him instructions on how to build a tabernacle. This is how big it's supposed to be, how wide it's supposed to be, how tall it's supposed to be. Here are the material supposed to use and I want this altar and I want this showbread place and I want this lampstand and this wash basin, and we're going to have the holy holies inside and I want the wood to be a K of wood covered with gold. And He's given all these different instructions, right? And, and God's heart is for the tabernacle to be able to set right smack dab in the middle of the of the camp, so the people always have access to him, and they know that they always have access to him. They're messing that up quite a bit down at the bottom of the mountain, as they are fearful because they haven't seen Moses for 40 days they wonder if God's abandoned them because their access their entry point their conduit to God's been missing and so they decide to create their own God so what God is trying to give them up on the mountain they are trying to fabricate for themselves down below and it turns into a disaster but I want you to see something in this text you know to build this tabernacle took a lot of different skill sets right? It, it took jewelers. It took people who had the ability to cut gemstones. It took carpenters. It took weavers. It took the people who could dye cloth to a certain color. It took, it took people who were goldsmiths and silversmiths and blacksmiths. And it took people who were who were like dressmakers and bakers and people who could turn olives into oil and all those and right on down the list. It took all kinds of different skill sets. Now the people that God had set aside to serve Him as priests were going to come from the Levite tribe, but you notice this guy—he comes from the tribe of Judah, and it's and it's the skill sets opened up. And and here's the point that you and I need to get—that our everyday abilities are things that God has always intended to use for eternal purposes. These guys—I'm just a carpenter. I just make furniture. You know, I just, I just I I just turn olives into oil, right? I just, I just dye clothes to a certain color. I mean, how, what does that have? God uses everyday abilities for eternal purposes, and and He always has is always designed that. It's not just like it's not just Moses or Moses and Aaron or the people who come from their family who can serve God, and the rest of us, we just toil away in some kind of a role that we endure until we get to go to heaven. That's not the way God's designed it. God has given you abilities. He's given me abilities. He's given us capacities, insight, strength. God wants to use all that stuff for a divine purpose, a divine role, right? You know, I'm thinking, you know, as I was processing this week that that of all the different ways that I've seen God use various skill sets, right, to be a blessing to his kingdom. You know, and, and let me just tell you a few stories because you guys generally like stories. I, I like stories, right? So let me just pull up a few. First church I ever pastored, uh, we built a church building. So when we moved in the doors back in, in 1990, we had three mortgages, all right? That, that's not highly recommended for anybody, particularly for a church. But we had three mortgages. It's the only way we could finish it. All that means is that we didn't have any, really mo- we didn't have any money really to do anything, right? You know, to kind of get to, 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 in the building. Every, every penny we could save mattered. And there we came across these guys, a network of Christians in South Carolina. And these guys all worked for companies that were in the building supply trades, Guys, you know, and, and the biggest access we had were the guys who had various moldings, like trim work you use, right? And, and so here were these guys, they're just running warehouses, right? I mean, how spiritual is that, right? You're just running, you're just pushing wood around, right? You know, and, I, and these guys, they were able over a number of months, you know, here's a piece of molding, it's eight feet long. The last six inches of it is broken or splinted or not any good anymore. They're not going to be able to sell that. Set it aside seven feet of its good, right? They filled an entire 26-foot truck with building materials, and we used literally every single piece that they sent us, you know, and and it was amazing. I mean, tens of thousands of dollars worth of stuff. These guys set aside, filled up this 26-foot truck Somebody drove it to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I took a train down to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, drove the truck back. It would never go more than 35 miles an hour uphill. I never want to drive a truck like that again. But it, it, it just blessed us, right? And here were guys. All they were doing was running a warehouse, just running a warehouse. You know, another story. Some of you remember back when we were getting ready to construct this facility, we really thought that because of the time and where we were in 2004, that we wouldn't really get to focus on building until the summer of 2006. And right around Christmas, God threw open an open door to us and led us to walk through it. And, we, and I, I really call it the miracle of our construction. Because there was a team of builders who actually came here and constructed this facility with us and for us that were supposed to go to Colorado, and that project got canceled. So here they had 500 volunteers with no place to go, and they wanted to show up beginning on Memorial Day. Now, we had a signed agreement on this piece of property, but we didn't have a purchase and sale agreement. We didn't have a building design. We didn't have a plot plan. We didn't have a master site plan. We didn't have any financing in place. We didn't have anything. We hadn't even done any tests on the property yet. And this guy calls me and says, says Neil, no, I understand you guys have located a piece of property You're in an agreement. Any chance you guys think you can have a slab in the ground by Memorial Day. That's five months. Some of the guys in it, you know, who do some construction work, you know just what is involved in doing all that in terms of the development path thing. So God was just opening doors for us all the way along. One of the biggest red flags that went up was when we filed our first submission with the Conservation Commission, one of the members of the commission said, I think the area down by where you want to put your driveway is a vernal pool. I had no idea what a vernal pool was, right? You know, but it's a place where frogs breed their eggs and then they go somewhere else and, and then it all dries up and it looks like dry gr- ground the rest of the, the time, right? So there's no predators in there to eat all their eggs, that kind of stuff. So and, and the difference between vernal pool and wetlands is that wetlands you can replicate, vernal pool you can't touch. So the guy's like, I don't think you can put your driveway through there, So and we're going to have to wait until the spring to test it. Well, if we're waiting until April, May, June to test it, there's no way we're having a slab in the ground by Memorial Day. do you know that our civil engineer who wasn't even a part of our church at his own initiative sat down and redesigned the entranceway and negotiated with the sellers of the property to us about how they wouldn't lose any value on it and we were and so our our that's why you go underneath the power lines and out to the street when you leave, because it moved over about 250 feet. They gave up frontage and land, but they didn't really give up any of the value of their own property because of what the initially. And and we stayed on pro, stayed on time. The slab was in the ground Friday afternoon, of just before Memorial Day weekend, and the volunteers showed up on Saturday morning. I mean, it's amazing the kinds of things that God does, right? I mean, and these are people like, well, what what do I have really? It's just work, right? I'm just, just designing, you know, catch basins for water to run into. Uh, what does that have to do with kingdom work? But I got to tell you, it's all a difference in the world. I mean, some of you would think that at the bottom of the pile of the people in the world are lawyers and car salesmen, right? Right? You know, those are straight at the bottom, right? I'm just teasing, you know. I, no, I, and and both lawyers and car salesmen have been a huge blessing in the ministries I've been a part of. You know, just tell a story. I mean, in a prayer group with a pastor, um, very small church, living in a parsonage, really struggling just to put food on the table for the family, and, and they're, they're having their sixth child, and, and their car is like 20 years old and, and doesn't seat enough people. And he, and, he, and, he, and so just as a matter of prayer, he reaches out and says, you know, I need to find a vehicle so it would be great if you guys were just praying with me that we could find a car that we could afford, that we could put our family in. And I reached out to somebody in our network who is a car salesman, runs a dealership. And he puts them, he goes to auction, buys them exactly what they want, van under 20,000 miles with all kinds of stuff in it, at, at, at a monthly payment way lower than they even asked. And here's this, and, and so the next time I saw the pastor he said to me, so My church's gonna think they're paying me too much because this car is too nice. You know, but God uses all kinds of abilities in our lives. He doesn't, and, and, and if you just ran through a list of all the ways and the types of people that God has used to further his kingdom just in our journey at Hope Chapel, it's incredible, right? It, it, it is from from internet. Guys and computer guys to painters to electricians to plumbers to welders to to, to landscape people to roofers etc the list just goes on and on and on all kinds of stuff your everyday abilities God is intending for you to use for divine purpose right but here's here's what you you, you need to see of this text don't miss verse three right here are these guys obviously this guy Bezaliel, right, he's, he's pretty good at what he does. So this is the kind of guy you would like to hire, right, to build your deck because he knows how to, to do stuff. But God says, I'm going to give him a spirit of wisdom because even though I've told him how big the table's supposed to be and how high it's supposed to be, there are still a lot of questions left to be answered about how to build it. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't know this until this week, and I'm not even sure I have my facts totally right, but there are at least 16 different ways to connect legs together as you connect them to a table. You know, I, I looked up some of the ones. I even, can't even remember all the things. There are butt joints, biscuit joints, bridle joints, dovetail joints, finger joints, mortise joints, tenon joints, and the list just kind of goes on and on, right? I mean, there's lots of different ones. So here are these guys. They're going to be building this table, and they're going to be asking the question, now does God want a dovetail joint or a, fish, or a finger joint here? And God's saying, I'm going to equip them with the ability so that they have the wisdom, so that every single decision that they have to make in order to construct this table is going to come out exactly as I drew it up in my mind and heart. Now, and... And I've learned this lesson over and over again, right? When we go on these construction trips, you know, and and they say, okay, we want you to go, you know, sheetrock in this stairwell or just, just wrap these posts on the carport with this stuff. And then you think, oh, that's easy, you know, how can I and you get out there? It's like, all right, how's it attached to this and do that? And what do you want? So, and there's like a dozen different questions. And I'm glad I'm like, you know what? I'll just stand in the back and drink my coffee, right? Until they, somebody figures out how we're going to do it. And then we'll go. Because it's not that cut and dry. It takes a lot of different detail. God gives a spirit of wisdom. And so, one of the journeys for us, I don't care if you're an engineer, we're praying for school teachers today, whether you're driving a truck and delivering office supplies or, or whatever, or you're selling stuff or whatever. One of the things we have to, in order for you and I to take the everyday abilities and make it where they have a divine impact, we have to be asking God this question. God, make me wise so that my work is your work. God, make me wise. God, how do you want to use my work for your work. Because I don't care where you're at, God can use you and has used you. You know, I will tell you, so many times I've stood in our lobby and somebody's introduced me to somebody and they said, this is a friend of mine from work. Everyday abilities producing eternal impact. But we have to have this, this heart in our minds to say, God, I know I know how to do this stuff, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to build a table just the way you want it. God, give me wisdom. God, give me wisdom on how to live my job out Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday. You know, live it out in such a way that it, it, it is a blessing. It plays the divine role that you want me to play. And, and, and the problem is, is keeping all of that in focus, Right? I mean, you—you guys have been there, right? You get to work and it's hard, and the weeks are long, and you get tired, and et cetera. And after a while, it ceases to be a divine mission field, and it just seems to be, you know, an endurance test. Anybody agree? Have any ever had a job like that where it just seems to turn into an endurance test, right? You know, the end of the school year cannot come fast enough for some teachers, right? Dep- especially depending on the class that they've had that year. And so how do we do that? How do we, how do we take the mundane and make sure we understand that it really is sacred? The way we do that is to take what we often embrace as a burden, keeping Sabbath, and turning it into the blessing that God wants it to be. See, God is having them build this, temp- this tabernacle, so it'll be a blessing to them, but if they don't take Sabbath, it's not going to be that blessing. That's why it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that is retold in this place. And God said, like, listen, I don't want them to miss this point. Not once, not twice, not three, but you know, over and over again, you gotta keep the Sabbath, gotta keep the Sabbath, you gotta keep the Sabbath, you gotta keep the Sabbath. If if you want the tabernacle to be the place of blessing that you want it to be, you want to keep life and rhythm, etc., you've got to observe the Sabbath, right? And so there's some things that we need to process out of this, and and you know I know there's ways in which we want to um, we we want to um, you know jump to a lot of different questions and, and that kind of thing. I mean, like one of those is why is this the only one? I think I've just answered that. Others are like, well, what does it really mean to take complete rest on the Sabbath, right? And that's something that really fascinated the rabbis, right? And that's why they had, they had all kinds of instructions about, all right, you know, 53 steps is, is, is not work, but 54 steps is, and those kinds of things. And they really fascinated with that. One of the questions we struggle with today among some believers is, should we, worship, should we observe Sabbath on Saturday, which was the original day, or should we observe it on the Lord's Day? Or if you have to work on Saturday and Sunday, then what do you do the rest of the time, should, can, does another day work, right? I got to tell you, you know, if you have somebody who's supposed to stand standing guard duty at your military base on Saturday and Sunday, I think you want them to take their Sabbath on a different day, right? You know, it's not like, oh, it can't work today. We'll just have this hole in the wall where the enemy can, you know. You, so, how do we do that, right? I mean, I, you know, and 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 so, and I the questions about what day we should work on, I, you know. I think some of this you have to figure out on your own. I certainly have my my theological convictions that we have some freedom in Christ, and that and and that the idea of Sabbath rest is something that still is divinely binding on us because it's for our good. Because the Sabbath is is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But the freedom to to exercise our freedom in Christ and do it on Sunday instead of Saturday is is ours for the taking. There clearly are people who just disagree with that, but I. I think the thing that I really want you to get us is that, is that it is so essential. If you and I are going to keep Monday through Saturdays at days in which we understand that God is using us and making a different and investing himself in it, we have to keep the rhythm of Sabbath going in our lives. So let's talk just a little bit about what does it really mean for Sabbath, right? And when you look at this text, Sabbath is supposed to be to do several things for us. One, it's supposed to be literally just a day of rest. Physical rest, right? You're supposed to take complete rest. Now, some of us, we think our bodies are the kind of things that we can we can go 14 hours a day, seven days a week, it's never going to catch up to us. I, I don't think that's the way we're made. And I think there's a lot of studies that would back up the fact that it is... Priceless is valuable physically to take time to rest, right? One of my greatest parts of our Sabbath day that Christina and I take is that I nap. Do you love naps? You know, this is why I love 4.30 in the afternoon kickoff times for Patriots games way better than 1 o'clock because I can get a much longer nap in before the games. So, you know, but because you can't, you nap late in the afternoon, you're up all night, but rest, just napping, Right? How many of you nap? Hey, look at that. All right. We got a crowd that's dialed in a little bit. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Just rest. There is a way, too, where, where observing Sabbath not only forces us to remember that we're in covenant with God, let me phrase that differently, by slowing down and saying, okay, this day is going to be different than the other six days of the week, reminds me that I am dependent upon God right? And that, that is, that's what they need to remember. They're not getting to the promised land on their own, right? They need to remember that they are dependent upon God. And so God is, says, you know, this is a reflection. It not only is a, re, a witness for future generations that you are in covenant with me, that, that, you know, that we are a people together. I'm your God and you are my nation, that kind of idea. But it's also a reminder to themselves, I can't do life on my own. Monday through Saturday is not going to be everyday abilities doing eternal things unless I remember Sabbath. And so it takes rest, and it takes it takes re- re- um, remembering this relationship with God's Sabbath, like today. Some of you gathered here, hopefully this is a huge reminder to you that my life is about being connected with God, right? It's about that aspect of it. And then it's also an opportunity for... To, to, to refocus. and, and So I want to give you some R's, okay? Because all of us are probably going to experience what Sabbath is for us a little differently, right? And so, but I think there's some aspects, characteristics that need to work. So I'm just going to give you some R's. So hang in there with me just a little bit on these. But the very first thing, you cannot do Sabbath if you do not revel in God at some point in your day. We might use the word worship but we use that word all the time, so I'm trying to get your attention by using the word revel. That there, there is a place in our experience of Sabbath, on Saturday or Sunday or whether you're doing it on Wednesday because of your schedule, whatever. There is a place for us to get where we just celebrate and praise and rejoice and worship this God who created the world in six days. Has brought us out of slavery and brought us to the mountain and led us into a relationship with him who has sent his son out of, out of heaven, who lived the perfect life among us, died on the cross, was risen and re- resurrected on the third day, and through our faith in him that we get the privilege of having God's love lavished on us that we get to be called the children of God. And there has to be those days where you, in, your, in your week that it just fires your engines to celebrate, to rejoice in, to revel in who God is and what God has done. And, and, there, and, and you can't do that. You can't have Sabbaths without that reveling and who God is. The second R I i give you, and I've already talked about this, is you just flat out need to rest. You, you, you need to change the pace of the way that you live in such a way that your body feels more energized the next morning. You just do. And that's part of why God intended it that way. And that resting is also supposed to be a reminder to us that God has prepared for us an eternal rest. And you could go look at Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 and some heavy theological sledding there. But the, the whole idea is that God has, he labored for six days and the seventh day he rested. And that rest is what awaits us. And as you and I rest, we experience some of that giftedness of the peace, that wellness with our souls happens now. And so there has to be this idea of rest, just changing things up and letting our bodies recharge. There has to be a place where you reconnect, okay? I'm forcing the R's now, but just hanging there with know, Listen, every single one of us knows that there's just this blinding effect to everyday life, right? You know, and after a while, I mean, how many of you feel like you know, just yesterday was Easter, right, or Christmas, right? And like tomorrow's going to be Christmas again because it's life flies by, right? There has to be a time when you just back off, right, and you have to reconnect, right? And, and, and you've, you've got to start seeing life in perspective. So you need to reconnect with God. You need to reconnect with family. You need to reconnect with yourself. You need to reconnect with your sense of divine purpose that God has indeed set us apart to be ambassadors for Christ and all those wonderful things. But there needs to be this time where we just reconnect with who God is, who he is in our lives, who he's placed into our lives, and, and we feel connected with God. And I think some of that means it has to be outside of the time of reveling. I'm hoping, and again, one of, my, one of my preaching philosophies is, I don't necessarily want to answer all of your spiritual questions. I do want to get you to answer them, to ask them. And then as you reconnect with God, you're having that conversation with God about how to answer those questions for yourself. What is it that God really wants me to do for him in my job? How does God want to use me in my home? And etc. And, and all those kinds of pieces. And and so there's that need for us to reconnect with God and have that conversation with God, to pray, to meditate, to repent, and all that kind of stuff. And then lastly, I think there needs to be a sense of refocusing. Right? Refocusing. We have a because there, there there is just a need for us to, to recalibrate what's important to us on a regular basis. Because I, I got to tell you, and you've been there because you've had, sometimes had bosses who have forced this onto you. The idea is, you know, the most important thing in your life is getting the staffs done by this time, right? And everything else goes, right? And, you know, we, we've had people in our church who, who, were, who were told, no, you can't go to your daughter's graduation because you've got to get this project done by this timeline. There's a need to recalibrate, right? Right? And when, when we don't recalibrate, we create damage in our journey. We have a family in our church that was having problems with their car, right? It was related to the air conditioning system and it was in over and over and over again and at the end of the day the problem was that the mechanic's equipment wasn't calibrated correctly and every time they filled it with what they needed to, they blew the lines out. And sometimes when you and I don't recalibrate, we blow the lines out of our lives and they overheat just like their car was overheating inside because of no air conditioning. And, and you and I need to, so we need to revel in God, right? We, we, we need to rest. We, we need to reconnect with, with God and with ourselves and with our loved ones and, and et cetera, and, 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 with God. and we need to refocus. This is my agenda. It's not just to survive Monday through Friday, but it's actually to make a divine impact because these everyday gifts actually play a kingdom value in people's lives. And what that takes is rhythm. Work and Sabbath. Work and Sabbath. Work and Sabbath. And God's invitation to us is to embrace that rhythm in our own lives. That's what God's gift to us is. We don't want to see... Sabbath is oh man, this is the one day I'm really. I got all this stuff I got to get done in my yard and this and that, and it's the only day I really have to play. And I was like, man, and I got to go to church and screw the whole day up, you know. And I know some of you feel like that some days. I ain't dumb, you know. But to say, no, this is a gift. I can set all that stuff back and I can back up, and you know what? It's going to transform how Monday through Saturday go, and embrace it as that gift. It takes rhythm. It takes rhythm. We have to, And I think as the last song we sung just before I came up to speak, it's what really puts us in a place where we can give God all of our heart, right? Um, sorry, that's the song we're getting ready to sing. <laughs> it's flashing in from the... It, 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 you and I are in a place where we can give our hearts to God Monday through Saturday if we have the rhythm of experiencing Sabbath with Him. And so I'm asking you today to embrace... The, all the value that God wants your labors to have by embracing rhythm. Work, asking God to say, how is it that you want to use my job for you today? And to keep that in perspective, keep that in mind, to focus, because you've embraced Sabbath as you walk with him. Let's pray together. God, we know you are good. Every single instruction that you've given us is for our benefit. Sometimes, Father, when it comes to Sabbath and when it comes to vocation, it's hard for us to see that. So, Father, I pray that you would do exactly what you did for these workers in our text today. Give us a spirit of wisdom. Give us your spirit and gratefulness. that we might see how every single aspect of our lives can be used and should be used by you to make a difference. God, give us hearts to walk with you. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen.